0: number 16. We, of course, on Thursday nights, are kind of our theme is um, ironing out some issues and uh, making sure that uh, in the Word of God, match up with the Word of God, and we're following the Word of God, um, and uh, make sure we're all on the same page. And uh, been looking at the home, family, some doctrine issues, and uh going to start now and we'll go all the way to right up to or right after our missions conference. but I want to look at missions, all right and, um, and more specifically, missionaries and um, want to look at and of course in the last few years our missions program has grown substantially and that is a great privilege. that is a great honor and that is a great blessing. And uh, just a thankful for what God has done But it's also a great responsibility It is a great sacrifice And it is a great burden uh, When I became pastor I was 29 years old And, um, and uh, You know I'd, I had learned a lot of things But uh, this area of missions um, That was a Learning while we're going um, You know uh, And I'm very thankful for Brother Harris uh, Brother Harris um, just was patient he helped uh we had many conversations and and um i i at first i was and you would lie probably most of you if you didn't agree with this most of you right i was intimidated by brother harris I mean, some of you are like i grew up with him no big deal right but you know it just i'd be sitting in church you know, i'm not gonna ask for a raise of hands right you know but he would be preaching it felt like he would just stop and stare at me for like an hour yeah you know? you'd be like turning your bibles to john three you'd be like eh. Right, and uh but uh as a, a opportunity, uh just shortly after I became pastor to take a trip to Hungary, uh to visit the Christiansons, and um and uh, Brother Harris was able to go with me and that that was a turning point in my life, and I'm very thankful for that. Not only because the Christiansons were very mean to us and the first thing they did is Miss Christensen here? Is she? Yeah. Remember the first thing you did? You sent us to the grocery store. <laughs> with like no idea what we were doing, all right? you remember that? Yeah, yeah, all right, so me and Brother Harris was walking around trying to figure things out and uh and uh but uh you know, we had a great time uh, out there with them, but uh, I got to spend hours talking to brother Harris and um, just a, a wonderful, wonderful week, and just thoroughly enjoyed that and it was a a blessed time of my life, uh, and we are very blessed now in our church, uh, of course, we support many missionaries, but um, we uh send out uh, quite a few missionaries, um, especially a church our size, and and that is a gift from God. Um, and, uh, and so there's a whole lot of things out there that goes and tries to claim mission work. Um, you know, feeding the poor, cleaning water so it's drinkable, refugees and orphans, those are things that Christians can do, and helping people and showing love to them, Absolutely. But that's not what missions work is. Um, that's what Christians can do, uh, but that's not the work of missions. Uh, we are very blessed now. Again, we have Brother and Mrs. Harris, Brother and Mrs. Elam, Sean, Elam, Monica, uh, the Alexanders, the Hodnets um, sent out of our church. And uh, of course, we continue to uh, uh, support uh, those who served in the past and are still faithfully serving the Lord and, and, uh, but as a church it's really important especially as we send out these families and prayerfully in the future send out more families uh, but uh, again what are they doing what's their responsibility what is our responsibility uh, what is required of us what should we require of them um, you know, how much inspection should we be doing? Um, what w- what are the realms here that we should, you know, be watching very closely? And uh, we are responsible, again, for the Harris's, the Elam's, Sean Elam, Alexander's, Hodnitz, and probably you could have named them if I'd ask you who are our commissioned missionaries, but what are we supposed to be doing for them? And obviously, while well, we're praying for them, well, amen, not belittling that, please continue to pray for them. We give, absolutely. They can't be there if there isn't giving, absolutely. But there's more than praying and giving. And it's important that we as a church understand this. We're going to look at this going into our missions conference and probably a little bit afterwards. But let's look at biblically here missions, what it is, why we do it, what's our responsibility. In Mark chapter number 16 and verse number 15, just to get us going here, we have a very familiar verse that says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now we have studied and we understand what a church is, biblically speaking. A church is a local, visible, organized assembly of baptized believers that are there to do the work of God. Uh, missions is part of that. Um, uh, we, we as a church should be involved and active in missions. Um, here the Great Commission, and I know we can read Matthew also, but here we to see that the gospel is being preached. Again, in all the world, to every creature. Um, and again, we can support men. We, can, we can't We can go everywhere ourselves, but we can help and see that this work is being done. And if all of God's churches follow the Lord, great things can be accomplished. There is a small group of men in the book of Acts that turned the world upside down. Because they just followed the Lord's leadership. Turn over to Ephesians in chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And in verse number 11. Ephesians 4 and in verse number 11. Ephesians 4 verse number 11 says this. Talking about, again, we'll see it here, the church. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists some and some pastors and teachers... For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word evangelist there, all right, and it's a semantical thing, and definitely not upset. You know, either word is fine with me. But the biblical word for missionary is the word evangelist let I me mean, read that in the Word of God all right that is the evangelist is what we call today the missionary and notice here that the evangelist is to the church a gift from God it says there again i 'll read a verse again and he gave who's he God gave and one of those gifts to the church is the evangelist. Yeah. Now, I, also, a pastor's a gift, and we're thankful that, you know, the church should be thankful as a pastor, amen? Yeah. And a uh, pastor's a gift from God uh, for the church. And the evangelist, the missionary, is a gift from God to the church. Because that Baptist temple has been very gifted A blessing you know that um there's a lot of responsibility comes with it but i believe it's the principal teaching throughout the word of god that god when you're faithful with the little god will bless with more and it's really important church we again praise the lord for the generations before us that have been faithful, that laid the foundation, and and God has blessed that. But if we take it for granted and we don't think much about it and we just think, well, that's just someone else in our church and we don't consider what God is doing, we'll lose it too. I don't want to see the gifts being taken back. I want to see more gifts. And an evangelist is a gift. The word evangelist means a bringer of good tidings. It's a messenger of good news. Um, you, we can use the word missionary, and there's nothing wrong with that word. It's not in the Bible, but it, it comes from a Latin word that means one who is sent. And, so, and absolutely, a missionary is one who is sent. There's nothing wrong uh, with using that word. I don't have an issue. As long as we're on the same page and we understand what a missionary is. They're a gift from God who is sent out. Now we could probably name some missionaries. Go back in the book of Acts real quick. Look at Acts chapter number twenty-one. All right, Acts chapter number twenty-one. Acts twenty-one. You say, well, preacher, I already know everything you've already said. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But it's really important that we continue to teach these things so that our young people get this. uh, The next generation gets this. And it's really important that we all, again, that's why God gave us pastors and evangelists, All right? It's so that we all come into unity of the faith so we can understand what the Bible's doing and why we're doing what we're doing biblically. In Acts chapter 21 and verse number 8, it says, And the next day... We that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of who? Philip the what? Evangelist. Evangelist. So Philip here is one of these evangelists. All right? He is, in our today's vernacular, he's a missionary. Now, we could do a big study on him, but I just want to do a brief glance at his life here, all right? What do we know about him? Uh, Look back in chapter number 8 in uh, the book of Acts, all right? Philip is a missionary, all right? He's an evangelist. In Acts chapter number 8, look with me in verse number 5. Acts 8 and verse number 5 says this. Acts 8 and verse number 5. Then, who are we talking about? Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So what do we see this evangelist doing? He's preaching what? Christ. He's preaching Christ. He's preaching the Lord. He's preaching salvation. All right? That's what we need preaching. Preaching Christ. Amen. He's preaching salvation. That's what a evangelist does. Uh, our evangelists that are sent out, all right? They need to go and preach Jesus. They need to go and, and, and find contacts and talk to people, and it, that's where it starts. it doesn't start with a, you know a, a study on uh, uh, the trichotomy, all right You first got to see people get saved. so we preach Jesus all right and so they're preaching Christ. then we see in Acts chapter number eight and in verse number twelve, Acts eight and verse number twelve. it says, "But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ." They were what? Baptized. Baptized, both men and women. So here is Philip the evangelist sent out of his church. All right, he, he served there as one of the deacons for a while. And now he's out of this church and he's preaching Christ. He is baptizing, and we've already studied baptism, one must have proper authority to baptize. A missionary is sent out. That's what the ordination is about. We're ordaining them with that authority and recognition that God has called them and we're sending them out to preach the gospel and to baptize. And then in, he, he also, by the way, at the end of this chapter, he meets the Ethiopian. You remember that story? And uh, again, he finds him reading in the book of Isaiah. And uh, he says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? He said, someone show me. And, uh, and then uh, Philip, showed him there from the book of isaiah and he preached jesus to him amen he preached jesus and then he then the Ethiopians like well here's some water i need to get baptized and and uh, philip said well if thou believest Because you don't get baptized until after you put your faith in Christ. And he said, I do believe. And he he was saved and he got baptized and Philip baptized him there. And then you'll notice in chapter 8 and in verse number 14, it says this, chapter 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, ascending church, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. So, again, home church hears about people getting saved, people getting baptized in Samaria, people, you know, a church is beginning. You say, well, is it really a church? Well, look look over in chapter number 9. All right, just page over, chapter 9, they sent Peter and John to go check things out. And in chapter 9, in verse number 31, look what it says. All right, we could do a lot of studying. We're trying to be brief, but very pointed here. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, And Galilee and there's churches there. There's a church in Samaria now. Amen. Oh, come on, that's exciting, right? I mean, you see the work of missions going on. Philip is sent, he preaches Jesus. People believe, they get baptized. And now Peter and John are sent from the home church to see what's going on. It's important that pastors go inspect the work and see that things are being done and done correctly. And when they report reporting back, now there's a church in Samaria. There's one in Judea and there's one in Galilee. But the point is this, a church was started. And Philip was this evangelist. This is the work of an evangelist. He's one that is sent. One that goes and preaches the good news. So how does or how should biblical missions work? And I want to look in the next few weeks as the Lord allows us to look at basically these five things. And we'll look at them through the next few weeks, all right? But we're going to look at the passion of missions, then we're going to look at the perception or the vision of missions, and then the plan of missions. All right? And then the practice of missions, how things practically happen. And then the procedures of missions. All right? and by God's grace, we'll look at that right, here in the next few weeks. But let's, let's start working towards this by looking tonight at the passion of missions. To get us going, let's look back in John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4, the passion of missions. In John chapter number 4, Jesus here, this is the passage when the Samaritan woman, uh, she uh, gets saved there, meeting Jesus at that well. It's a great story, amen, and uh, just uh, what God did there. All right, but in John chapter number four, just simply I want to read verse number four, it says this about Jesus, and he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. The Lord. He had to go there. Why did the Lord have to go to Samaria? There was one there, and by the way, several more later following us, that would get saved. But he must needs go. Why did he go, in the simple statement, and then we'll build on this, He had a burden. He had a burden burden for these lost souls this is the reason for world evangelism this is the reason of missions God's burden I want you to catch what I say I'm very peculiar with my words here God's burden a lot of times when we have missionaries come in and we will Sunday we have missionaries come in and they show their presentation almost said slides but remember what those were Right, uh, they show their presentation, and they, they we, we look and we see the faces and we see the people and we see the false religions and we see you know just the right songs playing. and a lot a of, lot of times we get a man's burden, which will probably motivate us to maybe give a little bit more for a while because we have sympathy towards those people and we want to basically alleviate the sympathy we have in our hearts so we don't feel convicted. And we'll give a little bit here and there. But eventually, if we're not careful, because it's man's burden, it will fade away. I've even seen people surrender to the mission field because they listened to a man preach. They watched a slide presentation, only to find themselves a year or two down the road saying, Da, I can't do this. And again, I'm glad they didn't go without God's calling on their life, right? But understand this because this is vital to us. It has to be God's burden. And if we're going to have a passion for missions as a church, as individuals. It starts with us, number one, we have to comprehend God's burden. Comprehend God's burden. We must get God's burden. Now, how does that happen? All right, how does this happen? All right, we're not talking about going to a place where people are living in huts, and and I'm thankful for that, and please don't understand, I'm not belittling the needs. But what makes it real to a person and to a church is when we have God's burden. So we got to get this. What is God's burden? Go back to Genesis chapter number one. Let's start at the beginning. In Genesis chapter number one, very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter number one, Genesis one, and in verse number twenty-six. I encourage you, please, uh, if at all possible, I encourage you, write some of these things down, all right, and then go back and look at it again. Think on it. Meditate on it. Pray about these things, all right? But we've got to get God's burden. God's burden starts here with Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. And verse number 27, and God created, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female create, created he them. Number one is we get we want to get God's burden. Number one, we have to understand this. God created man. And you say, okay, we know this. All right, stay with me. God created man. Number one is what? God created man. All, right, all right, you say, why are we repeating? I really want you to get this. All right? This will change everything in our church's present and future. In the area of missions. God created man. Number two... God created man to have a personal relationship with him. God created man to have a personal relationship with him. Say, how do you know that? Well, again, I'm just repeating, but man was made in his image, in his likeness. God is a person. You understand that? He's not an it. God's a person. Man is a person. And the only beings that can have a personal relationship is two persons. And we were made in the image of God. And again, because God desires to have this personal relationship with man. We were made in his image. And we see that in Genesis 1 and verse number 26. But also God communicated with man. I mean, there's all kinds of events of that here in these first few pages of Genesis. Uh, but in Genesis 3, verse number 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. In right? verse number 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God, again, we're made in his image. God communicated with man. So it sets man apart from everything else that was created because God desires to have a personal relationship with man that's why we were made in his image that's why God communicates with man and there's something inside the heart look over in Psalms, chapter number 73 psalm 73 and probably you can think of other verses that would validate and endorse these points I'm making I'll just give you for time's sake moving right along but in psalm 73 and in verse number 25 Again, God God created man. God created man to have a personal relationship with him. We see that in that we're made in his image and God communicates with man. And man desires God. Every man was created with this inside of them that they desire this relationship with their creator. In verse number 25, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God made us with this knowledge of him. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but, you know, Romans 1 talks about this. No one is without excuse. I mean, no one has an excuse, all right? That God created us. That's why the Bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no God. Because he first has to convince himself because something in himself knows there's a God. That's why no matter where you go, no matter what age you go, no matter what empire, no matter what civilization, whether they had the gospel being preached or not, they had their own system of worshiping a God. Because something innate in them, they were created with this. Nature teaches it. Now, sadly, the devil just fills the world with lies and, and uh, damnable heresies. But the fact is this, we're made in his image, and God communicated with man. Man, in his heart, desires this, and God desires man. Praise the Lord for that. And in the book of Leviticus, chapter number 26, I wrote down. Le, uh, Leviticus, chapter number 26, and in verse number 12. With, I know we're moving fast. You all with me? Say amen. 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 All right. Leviticus chapter twenty-six, verse number twelve, says, The Lord says this, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. Listen, God created man, God created man to have a personal relationship with him, and that we were created in his image. God communicated with man. Man desires God, God desires man, and praise the Lord. First John four ten. God loves us. He loves us. Amen. I mean, I could, all of us could probably quote a different verse tonight that God loves us. First John 410 here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loves us. If you're lost here tonight, God loves you. If you've never met the Lord and don't know that Jesus is your savior, God loves you. We love him because he first loved us. And so God created man to have this personal relationship with him. All right, One, God created man. Two, God created man to have a personal relationship with him. Number three, uh, the, a personal relationship, the personal relationship between God and man is broken by sin. Adam and Eve, they had a personal relationship with God. He spoke to them. He walked with them. Sin broke that. And ever since that one man, Adam, sinned, Romans 5 12, death passed upon all men. We were all born sinners, you understand that? We didn't sin and become a sinner. We're sinners, that's why we sin. And that sin, every one of us, there's none righteous, no, not one. If you're a sinner, you're breathing, right? We're sinners. And sin broke that relation, that personal relationship between God and man. It did with Adam. It did with us. The fact that, number four, every human is born, every human that is born is a sinner. We all are. If you want some references for that, Psalm 51, verse number 5. John 3, verse number 19. The fact is this, we were born that way and we've chosen to be that way. Men love darkness rather than light. God created man. God created man to have a personal relationship with him. A personal relationship between God and man was broken by sin. Every human born is a sinner. And number five, sin is an offense to a holy God. Right? And we'll look at Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter number 64, verse 6 and 7. Again, we want God's burden. I could just got up here and told you that people are sinners and they need to be saved. And that is an absolute truth. But we don't, we don't fully comprehend the burden of God until we walk through these steps. And I, I'm not, I've not said anything that we didn't know. But we all need reminded of this. God created man. No one probably walked in this room doubting that. But he created us to have a personal relationship with him. Revelation says we were created for his pleasure. It doesn't mean we're a puppet, all right? It means this, he desires, his pleasure, his joy is to have a relationship with us. That's why we were created. But sin, sin destroyed that. And every one of us are born sinners. And sin is an offense to a holy God. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6, it says, But we are all as unclean thing, as an unclean thing, all are unrighteousness, are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away, and there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. Sin is an offense to a holy God. That's why a holy God had to turn his back on his own son as he died upon the cross. He would not look upon that sin As he who knew no sin became sin for us. Praise the Lord for that. But sin is offense to a holy God. My next point, you'll know the verse. But number six, the end result of this sin. Is what? It's death. The wages of sin is what? What is death? Death is death. The best definition I think I've heard, and simply, is this. Death is separation. It's separation. Um, sin separates us. That relationship. And when we all are born sinners, everybody agree with that, right? Look over in Ephesians chapter number 2 real quick. Ephesians 2. I know we're using our Bible a lot, but again... We're going to get the God's burden. We should see God's word in this, right? In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, Ephesians 2, 1, the end result of sin is death. And death is separation. Ephesians 2 and verse number 1, and you hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. You and I, when we were born into this world, we were born Sinners death passed upon all men that separation was there when I was 10 years old I understood the gospel I wasn't saved and my sin separated me from having a relationship with my creator that he desperately wanted he wanted so much he let his son die for that when I was 11 my sins separated. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Spiritually speaking. And when the Lord said, The day that you eat this fruit, you shall surely die. Adam and Eve died. Spiritually, they were separated from God. So That's what the word death, separation. They were separated from God. And all of us are born sinners and we're born separated from our Creator. But praise the Lord, the day you got saved, you hath he quickened. He gave us life. Amen. And now we're his child and we have this relationship with God. But if you leave this earth, and listen to me, if you don't know you're saved, listen to what I'm about to say in these next 30 seconds. If you die in this world in your sin, having never accepted the payment that Jesus Christ gave for you upon the cross. If you die in this world, having never been saved, you are eternally separated from God. Eternally. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in chapter number 20, in verse number 11, in Revelation chapter number 20, and in verse number 11, the Bible says this. I'll start reading in Revelation 20, and verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. eternal damnation eternal separation from God this is the burden of God because I'm a little ahead of myself here but God doesn't want that to happen to anyone he created man In his own image. He created man to have a personal relationship with him. That personal relationship was separated and broken by sin. Every human born is a sinner. Sin is an offense to a holy God. The end result of sin is death. Number seven, there is no way an unsaved sinner can enjoy a relationship with Christ. There is no way an unsaved sinner can enjoy a relationship with Christ. In the next chapter in Revelation chapter twenty one and in verse number twenty seven says and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is no way an unsaved sinner can enjoy a relationship with their creator. It's impossible. And number eight, overbuilding the burden. I know a lot of these things you know, but number eight, most of the world is lost. Most of the world is lost. They don't know Christ as their Savior. In Matthew chapter number nine, you have the turn there. The Lord looked, and he had he wept. He had compassion as he saw the people as sheep having no shepherd. Most of the world is lost. Number nine what's it mean to be lost what's it mean to be lost I'm just going to give you these in the reference for time's sake write them down if you can it means in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 they have no hope did you hear me no hope people that are lost have no hope Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircum- uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, the strangers from the covenants of promises, having no hope, without God in the world. What's it mean to be lost? They have no hope. If you're sitting in this auditorium or you listen to this message and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior you are sitting right now without any hope if you died right now there's no hope but praise the Lord you're here because God wanted you to hear there is hope right now if you'll receive him but there are people sitting out there that are living their life without a hope what does it mean to be lost second thing they don't know the way Isaiah 53 and verse number 6, all we like sheep have what? That's what we do. That's what we do. We've gone astray. We, we wonder. We're lost. What does it mean to be lost? It means they have no hope. That means they don't know the way. There are people that are sitting in Africa and there are people that are sitting in Cincinnati right now. That are sitting there lost. They have no hope and they don't know the way. It means this. Thirdly. They do not know the imminent peril. Of their life. They do not know the imminent peril of their life. And Again. I'm not. Casting stones at them. I'm not upset at them. I'm just saying this is the reality. And look at me. We were all there. That's where I sat. When I say they do not know the imminent peril, John chapter 3 and verse number 36 He that believeth on the Son hath what? Life. Everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. They don't realize that the, they're living with the wrath of God upon them. Fourthly, those that are lost, what's it mean to be lost? They'll have no excuse. They'll have no excuse. Again, in Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 18. For the wrath of God, which we just spoke of, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No one will ever be able to stand before God with any excuses about why they're lost. There's no hope. They don't know the way. They don't know the imminent peril. They, do. they will have no excuses fact is this from Romans chapter 8 and verse number 8 they cannot please God they cannot please God that's what being lost is they cannot please God So that, Romans 8, 8 so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God chapter 7 and verse number 18 for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing what does it mean to be lost? it means this in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 3 they will perish. They will perish. Luke 13, verse number three, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise, what? That perish is that eternal death, the lake of fire. I'm gonna review, and then I'm gonna give you my 10th point. We need God's burden. This will change missions. For us, it will change. I hope this is this. When someone, you know why Brother Elam surrendered to the mission field? You know why Brother Harris surrendered to the, go to a different field? You know why these men, God, God got a hold of them? Because they got God's burden. God's burden is that God created man, and God created man to have a relationship with him. That personal relationship is broken by sin. Every human is born a sinner. Sin is an offense to a holy God. The end result of sin is death. There is no way an unsaved sinner can enjoy a relationship with Christ. Most of the world is lost. What does it mean to be lost? They have no hope. They don't know the way. They don't realize they're in imminent peril. They will have no excuses. They cannot please God, and they will perish. But number 10, this is God's burden. Second Peter chapter three and verse number nine. Second Peter chapter three, verse number nine. This is God's burden. Second Peter three, verse number nine. I hope you'll get this tonight because when you do, when you go to the grocery store, when you walk in the gas station, you don't just see a clerk. When you walk in Sunday and you see a visitor, you don't just see a visitor sitting in a seat. Every time an invitation is given, you don't just see an invitation and someone playing a song. Every time you walk down the road, you're handing out tracks, you're not just putting a track in the door. There's people behind these doors that God created, that God desires to have a relationship with them. His sin has destroyed them. And they're lost. That sin will lead to death, separation eternally. But Second Peter chapter three and verse number nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The burden of God is that all will come to repentance. The burden of God is that none should perish. The Lord came to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen, we don't deserve this, but he loves us. And there is a judgment to come because of these other things that I've said. He's a holy God and and that sin is offense to God and the wages of sin. So if we're going to understand missions, we have to comprehend God's burden. And then secondly, and I wrap it up, we then must carry God's burden. We comprehend it, and now we carry it with us. That's why, and I'm not being mean, these are his words, a breaking down, getting older, tired Brother Harris walks the streets in Mexico, which aren't safe, at 115 degrees because he carries God's burden when we carry God's burden it's not hard to pass the track out when we carry God's burden you don't have to beg to go so any when you carry God's burden you can't get through an invitation without praying please God if there's someone lost we have to carry God's burden. That does not mean we're not, that we're unhappy. It doesn't mean if we're carrying God's burden that we're you know, tripping over our bottom lip and we never smile and we never laugh and we don't enjoy this life. Matter of fact, it should be the opposite. God, his joy should remain in us and we should be an example of what his, his spirit, his life can change and the joy that is there and the peace that is there. But if you can just pass by a lost and dying world without seeing a need. You don't carry God's burden. If you can't remember the last time you prayed. For the lost souls that are around you. If you can't think of the last time you handed out a tract. In the book of, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you real quick, but in Lamentations, chapter 1 and verse number 12. Lamentations 1, 12 says this, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Is it nothing to you just to pass by? So how do we get... Say, all right, preacher, I want to carry God's burden. How how does this happen? The most simple thing I can show us, turn here, please, all of us, real quick, and we're done. Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah in chapter number 6. If you want to carry God's burden, God help us as a church. God help our missionaries. In Isaiah chapter 6... going to read the first few verses here and i'm going to stop and give you the points but if you want god's burden tonight and i encourage let's bow and pray tonight and say god help us to carry your burden verses one two three and four number one we need to see god as he is in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. We need to see God as who he is. He is holy. Holy. He is a holy God He is perfectly righteous And holy That's why sin Cannot be accepted He's a holy God We must see God as he is And in number two We then need to see ourselves as we are Then said I Verse five Woe is me I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We need to see ourselves. It's what we are. God is holy. I was born a wicked sinner. You were born a wicked sinner. My sin separated me, but he loved me. And praise God, someone gave me the gospel, I put my faith in the gospel and now I'm God's child. I have a relationship with him. I can talk with him and be with him. But we should see ourselves, woe is me. We as mankind, we need God. We see God for who he is. We see ourselves as for what we are. And then in verse 9 and 10, we need to see the lost for what they are he then in verse 6, 7, and 8 Isaiah would say verse number 8 familiar then said I didn't verse what then here me. am I when he saw God for who he was and he realized who he was and what God had done for him send me God we see the loss for what they are verse 9 he said go and tell this people Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. The lost are blind. The lost have turned a deaf ear to the truth. May we get God's burden tonight. Paul... God's burden you see it in the fact that he would say something I wish myself accursed that my brethren might be saved God's burden became the church at Antioch's burden uh, look over I know I said that but look Acts chapter 13 because I again I only say that to say as individuals we should get this burden but also as a church look at this and I promise we'll close in Acts chapter 13 this is really important we see this. As a church, we understand God's burden. Acts chapter number 13, look at verse number 1, right? Then we'll close. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch. Certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And look what it says. As they ministered to the Lord... And what? So here's these people in the church, the church at Antioch. They're serving God. And they're fasting, which is what? They're praying. Right? God answers their prayer. So I don't know what they prayed. We do. Because they're fasting, they're praying. And God answers their prayer. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. So God's answering their prayer. Amen? Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein I have called them. God answered their prayer. What were they praying? They're praying God's burden. There are souls that need to be saved, they're lost. They're created in his image. Sin is broken that God desires to have a personal relationship with them. God cannot accept sin. That sin is separating them. But, but, but the Lord died for their sins. He's not willing that any should perish and they're praying and they're fasting and they're serving God. And God answers their prayer and says, send Saul and Barnabas. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And the Holy Ghost led them. Say, what was Saul and Barnabas? They were evangelists. They were missionaries who left their home church because their church had God's burden. And they had God's burden. And we're here tonight because this church had that. I don't know how much longer we have on this earth, but as a church, we need to have God's burden. Let's pray, Father, Lord, I love. You.